0: Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. wow What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the ears? What the fuckadelics? What the fuckstables? Okay, how are all of you? I know there's more to be said. That is the way it is. I am Mark Marin. This is WTF. Thank you for tuning in. I appreciate your support. I appreciate your ears. I appreciate... Could somebody just tell me how much fucking kale do I have to eat in order for it to work? And I'm not sure what I expect out of kale, but after Thanksgiving, I needed something. I I needed to internally scrub out the pipes of my being... And I just started eating the kale, I started making kale smoothies. I know I've talked about this before. I don't know what I've said about it before, but there's just a limit for God's sakes. And I'm not sure what it's supposed to be doing because then I'll make a kale smoothie and I'll be like, oh, it is different. I have energy. I feel green. I feel green inside. I feel, I, I think I'm becoming a plant. I'm more receptive to the sun. I get energy from it now. Is that what's supposed to happen? Am I supposed to have a good bowel movement? Uh, is my uh, my sense of self going to change? It does kind of because you're eating kale. There's something noble about it. There's something almost Christ-like, almost martyring. It's like I'm eating a shitload of kale. Don't I get something for that burden? But uh, it's only going to last a few days. Yeah, it's like it's like coffee roasting. That that I'm glad I got the Whirly Pop. I did it twice, and uh, that's it. So now I have a Whirly Pop. I'm waiting for green beans. Just Coffee deals in the green beans as well, which I didn't know. So they're going to send me some green beans. So I'm going, to, I'm going to roast my own shit because that's what I do. That's what I do when I should be working, writing the second draft of my book. Well, I don't know. Maybe it's time to coffee roast. Maybe it's time to alphabetize my records. Maybe it's time to go through those cabinets and get rid of some stuff like pans I don't use. Maybe maybe I should masturbate again. Maybe uh, uh, the list is ongoing. There's never a shortage. Bud Friedman weird segue bud friedman is on the show today bud friedman i don't want to call him a fallen emperor but he was certainly an emperor of what we now know as modern comedy of modern stand-up bud friedman was the owner proprietor and uh a raconteur entrepreneur of the original improvisation uh, on 44th street new york the original back in the late 60s early 70s where it all started where modern Stand-up comedy started. This is the guy. And then he moved it out here. And then he had the fight, the battle with the comedy store and Mitzi, the strikes. Everybody you know from that uh, from that era, all your favorite comics from those days, moved through the halls of the improv. Very intimidating character. Some of my first TV appearances were on Bud Friedman's uh, Evening at the Improv in 1989. Very intimidating. Intimidating character, a very frightening man to me. Frightening. I mean, you used to walk into that improv when I was in my twenties and I was just starting out, and you'd be like, "Oh fuck, is Bud here? Oh, Bud's here. Bud's here. he's sitting over there at the table. Does he even know who I am? Am I ever going to be able to get on stage here? I think he's giving me Stink Eye through his monocle. It's very easy to read Stink Eye when it's through a monocle. He had a monocle all the time. He used to host his shows. He was very active. He was a I don't I, I'm not sure what the like almost like a, a matre d. A very powerful maitre d. He would get up on stage. He would walk people up. He would. It, it was. But he was very intimidating because he was the judger. He was the last stop. He, if Bud Friedman passed judgment, it could make a difference to getting stage time, to getting on television, to getting to doing it. And it was. He was like certainly godlike, mythic. I was petrified of the man for years. And then eventually it was weird, not unlike the comedy store, years into my career, long after I'd gone through that paralyzing, debilitating fear and, you know, deeply trying to get on stage that, uh, you know, Bud Friedman, you know, finally acknowledged me, came to see my one man show, Jerusalem Syndrome in Aspen with his wife, must've been 19, uh, yeah, probably 2000. And he came to see that. And then it was all of a sudden, Mark, how are you, Mark. But for years, it was just like, fuck, is Bud here? Ah, fuck, is he going to be in the room? God damn it. Now all I'm going to be thinking about is Bud. Just terrified. And And he came over here to the garage. I know his daughter, his daughter Zoe, has been also in show business, worked at Comedy Central, worked for David Letterman, gave me my first spot on Letterman. So I feel like I'm a, I'm a family friend, but there's always that thing hanging over you like, oh my God. So you know, Bud's coming over. I'm like, oh shit, Bud's here. Is he going to be all right? Do I need to get him? Uh, what does he need? What do, what do I got to do? Uh, am I going to get passed? Is judgment going to be passed in a positive way? But you know what's beautiful about getting older is every year you get older, there's a whole bunch of stuff in your brain that just gets thrown into a barrel of I don't give a fuck. That is the great thing. If you're lucky. That you get older, and that all these things that used to really terrify you, drive you crazy, make you crazy, obsessed about, frightened of, just it, it just, it's almost like a self cleaning if you're lucky. All of a sudden, you're like, holy shit, what happened to that? Ah, it must have been, uh, my brain must have just put it in the I don't give a fuck barrel. That's a, uh, it's not, it's not in the hypothalamus. It, it's not labeled that. I, I'm not sure what it's called clinically, the I don't give a fuck brain barrel. But it's up there. But more than that, you just you start to see people as people. And and I was not uh, intimidated. And I, you know, I think we had a good conversation. He's an uh, an incredibly able and uh, and uh, professional conversationalist. So I hope you enjoy that talk. We get into the history of the improv. This is some deep comedy nerd stuff coming at you. But we're just getting older. He's getting older. He looks good. I'm getting older. I look all right. I did Conan last night with Alice Cooper and uh, Jessica Biel. Jessica Biel. Yeah, enough said. Right? Sorry, Jessica sitting right here. I can't talk freely. <laughs> I love you, baby. I, I, you don't have to get on the mic. You're... I, you're... <laughs> but Alice Cooper getting back to the point about getting older and about show business, that to be an entertainer, to be a professional entertainer, you know, i Conan O'Brien is a professional entertainer. Alice Cooper is a professional entertainer. I i imagine that I could be called a professional entertainer, but to be backstage and to, that it, there's something very human and bittersweet and quite beautiful about, you know, being backstage and, you know, being introduced to Alice Cooper. I was supposed to do a podcast with him in Bonner. I think we're going to do it when I go visit my brother in Arizona because he lives out there, but he hasn't put on his makeup yet. And I, well, you know, he's got some of it on. I go into his dressing room. How are you, Alice? And then, you know, you begin the transformation, you know, between uh, the person and the persona. You know, we all do it to some degree. You put your game face on, you put your stage face on, but to see the person and then then to, to be standing there after I did my set, which I think went well. I think I dressed properly. I wore new pants that I've never worn on television before. I wore a shirt I've never worn on television before. My hair was combed. I don't think I fidgeted too much. I don't think I slouched. You tell me. But we were, you know, me and Conan and Andy were standing there on the stage when the lights went down and Alice came out in full regalia with his cane and his eye makeup and his rock and roll belts and pants and he belted out an old Alice Cooper song. And, you know, it's rock and roll. There, there is the uh, the slight sadness of age that we all have to deal with but i was watching a professional entertainer you know do what he does and you know he's an old man now don't tell him i said that but he's up there he's up there doing it and he's got a, a chick guitar player two other guitar players he is a fucking pt barnum of the alice cooper circus and god bless him if you believe that kind of stuff all right before we get to bud i i got a I got an invitation, a handwritten invitation. I'm very curious and wonder if I can make this. You know, I'm going to be at the Wilbur Theater in uh, Boston, Massachusetts on February 8th. I'll also be at Helium next weekend, December uh, 6th through 8th in Philly. But I'm going to be in Harvard and I get this email. Thank you so much for your comedy and your podcast. I'm a huge fan and I'm greatly looking forward to seeing you this February at the Wilbur theater in appreciation of the contributions you have made to the intellectual life here at Harvard. I would like to formally invite you to dinner with the society of fellows during your visit to Boston. I don't even know what this is, but I feel like I'm getting some sort of honorary degree from Harvard university. I look, I know it's just dinner and I know that the Harvard fellows, it's a, they meet a few times a month and they sit and eat and talk all these high octane intellectuals, past and present faculty geniuses of all sorts but to me this letter means Mark we are we are we're probably going to build a building for you at Harvard the Marin School of speculation and babbling sound pretty good I'll settle for dinner
1: But Friedman I know I sound great you so. do sound great <laughs> I can't believe you're here well, oh, listen, Mark. Yeah. I am so hip that uh, <laughs> yes, I was in the celebrity poker tournament at uh, Commerce, and yeah. uh, uh, there were some people that I knew, and yeah. some people are recognizing me. The guy yeah. says, uh, "I guess I'm I'm doing an iPod tomorrow." <laughs> And <laughs> they liked it, huh? Were they surprised? They, I, I'm doing an iPod. Oh, the wrong thing. A podcast. Yeah, I'm doing a pod. Then Did they I figure out what the head. hell you meant? Well, obviously you didn't. <laughs> so they certainly. I was those... trying to be
0: polite. I wasn't sure if you were still <laughs> yeah, calling. Right, it that. right, right. <laughs> well, you know, it's weird because uh, there uh. was a, uh, you know, I, it, it's hard to, to to begin talking about you know the the uh, what you've contributed. To, uh, to our business here, I think you invented the comedy
1: club, would you say that? Oh, I would say that definitely, by accident, but I certainly invented it.
0: Well, I don't think a lot of people realize that, the original improv on 44th Street, I mean, when did, when did that start?
1: 49 years ago, 1963.
0: And, and where did you come from before that? How did you get into show business?
1: Well, how did I get into show business? I was always a ham. You might have noticed that. Sure. I'm I, surprised there's no monocle tonight. Right. Hello. Oh, well, there's always the monocle, oh, yeah. of course. Monocle. <laughs> I, um, I was working in advertising in Boston. I was living in New York, and I moved to Boston to work in advertising, and- uh, I was almost 30, and I said, I've got to give show business a try. I always wanted to be an actor, but I didn't have the, you know, too middle class to starve, yeah. I think was my line. Right. So I said, I know, I'll produce a show on Broadway. You know? Yeah. So that's easy. Uh, yeah, Just that, that was easy. easy. I, I had no money, no contacts, and very little taste. Right. So I moved back to New York, <laughs> yeah. and I didn't want to work in advertising, which right. I had been doing in Boston, because it would be too full time. What were you doing? Copy?
0: Copywriting?
1: I what? was a copywriter. I was an account executive for small, you know, a couple of small. But accounts. you,
0: had, where, but
1: you grew up in Boston? No, no, I'm from Norwich, Connecticut.
0: Isn't that odd? You're not a, a traditional New York Jewish person.
1: Yes. Well, then I moved to New York when I was nine, uh-huh. looking for work. And did you go to college? Oh, yes. I, uh, I went to uh, City College, I went to Brooklyn College, and I went to NYU. Uh-huh. And you were also- and For a, one degree. And you were in the war, too. I was in the big war, the Korean War. <laughs> but that was a pretty
0: nasty war. I think a lot of people don't realize- it, Well, I
1: was only there for one- I was only in battle one day. Really? How did that- how, I was uh, I was on the front line. I was- uh, Which your uh, Army? In the army infantry, yeah. how did that happen? As a Jew boy from New York, how we'll did that? never know. How did that happen? I don't know. Did you
0: enlist? Or did you get? I your... did
1: enlist. Yes. You
0: yeah. thought it was the right thing to do?
1: No, I knew I was going to be drafted. I didn't want to waste time in college because I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I volunteered for the draft, thinking the war was going to last forever. Right. <laughs> Schmuck that I am, the, three weeks after I was wounded, the war ended. So, oh really? No, yeah.
0: So you, the first day in battle, you got so hit? I,
1: one day, and my only day in battle, and uh, yeah. And what, and, what, what happened? Uh, we were trying to take Pork Chop Hill back. You probably saw the yeah. movie. I kept turning around looking for the cameras. Yeah. And, <laughs> And <laughs> you got hit. And I didn't see that grenade, <laughs> and boom, I got uh, nailed. Did you lose a lot of friends and whatnot? I mean, yeah, we. Uh, that's when I was uh, becur- confirmed my uh, my uh, atheism. Really? I, How um, so? Well, the battalion was approximately, I don't know, 1,000 men. Yeah. And we were going to go back to try to take uh, the, um, the hill back, the right. pork chop hill, and the... the uh, what was he Presbyterian uh, chaplain mm-hmm. was going to bless everybody? And I said, no, no, and I walked away, not because he was Presbyterian because I you know yeah. I believe in God. and in in my company with the guys that I knew, two hundred and twenty guys, eleven one well, nine, I can't remember exactly I remember, uh, escaped unscathed and you were one of them. No, I was wounded. Oh, I'm okay. saying not they were dead. Either wounded right. or dead right. yeah. I didn't die. And that was it. You, you, you said and I said, man. I know. I now I know. I'm now I know. There's something to atheism. I believe in something. Because
0: <laughs> that guy he, he blessed us, and we still got. Yeah.
1: Name. Oh, I mean. It was so you terrible. came
0: back and did? Were you, uh, you? Did you get
1: a? You know. A, no, then I had the GI Bill, and, and did you get a Purple Heart? I got a Purple Heart. I was supposed to get a Bronze Star, but I didn't. That's another. You story. still have your Purple Heart? Oh yes, yeah. Alex, my wife uh, took my Purple Heart, my Combat Infantryman's Badge. Uh, a pin I had made up for the one show I produced, What's a Nice Country Like You Doing in a State Like This, and a a pin that I had won when I was 16 in the Bronx in the Tarzan Swim Meet uh-huh. at Cascade Swimming Pool. Lowe's <laughs> 167th Street did yeah. a swim competition, yeah. I won. I, yeah. got, I was very proud of it. I am very yeah. proud of it. And so I was at mounted <laughs> and mounted. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so- I, uh, I I I came back and I I started at City College. I'd already gone to Brooklyn College for a semester and left going to go into the army, and um, and while I was at City College, I called home or something, and I was living with my mother in yeah. Queens, and she says, "Ah, uh, you're not getting," uh, so I was uh, disabled, uh, disability. She says, "You're not getting hundred, but you're getting um, one hundred eighteen dollars a month." I said, "That doesn't sound right," and I came home. And it was my GI Bill oh, giving me, right. you know, money. For, no, no, that was my disability, right. not for the school. Right. So I became a disabled veteran. I found out a month out. What was that? How were you injured? I got hit by a grenade. Right, but I mean, what was uh, your oh, disability? Oh, I got my right elbow my, under my armpit, my rear end, uh, my right thigh of a four-inch shrapnel. Uh, yeah, is all out now. No, it's not. Oh, really? There's a little left in there, but we don't know. I, I read the report once years ago, but it was so technical I didn't know. I have no idea what the shrapnel is. Uh-huh. You know, keep surprising Alex all the time. Yeah, there you <laughs> keep go. popping out. What's this? Do <laughs> you? Yeah. Uh, so anyway, we uh, I I so I got the GI Bill, so I said, hell, oh, I'm transferring out of City College. I'm going to NYU. Yeah. And so I did, and uh, I I got out. I got my degree in about three years in advertising, in marketing and advertising. Yeah. And uh, I worked for a while in New York, and then, uh, it, but you, I couldn't go to work in an agency because they start you out at thirty-five dollars a week, which I couldn't afford to do. Uh-huh. And I was, you know, I was right. older than most of these guys, a year older. But yeah. So uh, I got a job in uh, a small agency in Boston called Marvin and Leonard Advertising. Yeah, you probably knew them as Young and Rubicam. Sure, Rupert of can. course. <laughs> <laughs> That's a joke. Yeah. there were two guys from yeah. New York who yeah. had moved up there yeah. to work for a small agency, yeah. and they bought it. Okay, the guy retired, and they hired me, and I was very happy. It was very nice. And if I wasn't, if I were married, I might have stayed there longer. But I was a little restless and. So uh, I decided I'm going to get into the showbiz now or never. I'm going to produce back a Broadway New show. I'm not going to work an out. I'll give myself a year to <laughs> a yeah. year to do it. Yeah. And that didn't work out too well. And uh, did you try to produce your show? At that point I I, I did. Uh, and one of the highlights or the highlight yeah was sitting down face to face with Lottie Lenya. Uh-huh. For the younger folks out there Lottie Lenya was this legendary German American American German singer-actress who uh, was married to Kurt Weill who wrote uh, the show that I was interested uh, in, Knickerbocker Holiday. Uh And, uh, you know, I knew nothing about theater, but I read the script (laughs) and I'm sure you're not familiar. It's before you. I
0: know Laudalina, I know the name, but I can't uh, can't, can't connect. So
1: it's about Peter Stuyvesant in Manhattan. Yeah. And uh, Peter Stuyvesant had a wooden leg and then there was a young guy in it. yeah. And on Broadway, the older guy was mm-hmm. played by Walter Houston and uh, John, John. Houston's
0: Houston. father. Yeah.
1: Angelica's grandfather. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, he sang September Song, a very famous song. And um, the younger guy forgot his name that played it. And I said to Miss Lenya, I said, uh, well, you know, I feel that for, you know, this is gonna be Summer Stock Show. They used yeah. to have big, these musical tints. right?" We could book a younger guy as the lead. I think we get more box office that way cuz the roles seem to be equal. Do you think that would work? She yeah. said, "Well, you know, the show was a really originally written for Burgess Meredith." Oh my god. You know who yeah, he is. Sure. From Rocky, Yeah, a manager. Well, of course he was the young Rock. He was yeah. a young yeah. actor, you know, wait a minute. and she had a fall he had a falling out with him, so he switched the show over to Walter Houston. Right. But oh. yes, we could do that." She right. said. Right. Well, needless said, say, I didn't, I didn't sell it. I couldn't sell him, uh, but it was nice meeting her. Oh, that was that was great. And I was looking at people like Arthur Godfrey so the older guy. And sure, I, it was hilarious. Uh, so I, you know, I, I was working as uh, I was selling magazines on the telephone. I was, and I met on the phone. Well, you know who Bullet Sturgeon was? No. He was Jackie Gleason's manager. Oh, my God. And, oh, I mean, how can you forget the name Bullet Sturgeon? <laughs> yeah. I kid in the Bronx, I knew who Bullet Sturgeon was. And I'm You met of, him cold calling? Like calling? I met his, his, his uh, divorced wife. Ex wife. She was so nice. She bought every magazine. <laughs> and then I finally met her when I moved out here years yeah. later. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And you told him the story? He told her, not him. Oh, okay. No, he was, I think, dead already. But uh, anyway. So I, I worked in my brother-in-law's luncheonette on 45th Street and Madison Avenue. Little goatee, little mustache. You've had a lot of facial hair. I've seen the pictures.
0: Yeah, right. And, a lot of things.
1: And people would say to me, uh, so um, you're an actor? I said, no. You're a writer? No, an artist? No, no, I'm a waiter. <laughs> just to embarrass them. Go, oh, what? No, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, I love it. I just, so <laughs> anyway. What was the birth of the, uh, how'd you get So the, the improv. improv, so I met this young lady who was in Fiorello. Hit Broadway musical, um, and I was dating her and, we, and Silver yeah. and you know was I mother. knew Silver. We go out, yeah, and we go out with her friends from the show, and they would say, "Hey, remember when we were in Chicago, trying out in the show, and yeah. we would go to Harry's Bar after yeah. the show and get up and sing, and then there was the place in Boston, blah blah blah." I said, "Gee, there's an idea. I'll open up a coffee house with food, yeah, in the theater district, yeah, and the kids will come in, get up and sing." I'll make a few bucks, and I'll expand my my knowledge of, of Broadway people. You smooze a
0: little bit. You meet some people. Yeah, exactly. Come exactly, in, exactly, show exactly, people. Mark, exactly. So you want to show people. You want to have an after-hours right. club, and after not
1: after hours after theater after
0: theater that was right. wasn't uh, Lindy's or one of the exactly. other places. Yeah,
1: you know, some place the kids could go to and, and hang and out, sing, oh and yeah, sing, yeah. And but the
0: sh- hope was to get the big people in.
1: Like to have, you know, a place where maybe. Never thought of the stars. No. No, I was just thinking of the chorus kids. And right. I mean, I think it would be a good part-time temporary venture. Sure. Like a coffee shop. A co- exactly. A coffee, coffee house. house yeah. exactly. With food. Though. Right. And so that's what I did. I opened it, and then, then we where, got. What was the original location? Where'd you get the?
0: 44th. Right, no, but I mean, what was it before? How'd you get the deal on that?
1: Well, um. <laughs> That's I smile because in 1962, when I rented at the end of '62 and opened in '63, it was a Vietnamese restaurant. 1962. Think okay. about that day, yeah. right? It had all red lacquered walls and mirrors and. Yeah ripped all the shit off the walls yeah. and there was the brick yeah cleaned up the brick and that's how the brick wall became the original, yeah. brick, the original wall. Brick, the wall. The brick original wall the first brick wall which
0: is now sort of a symbol of stand-up yes comedy. exactly i remember performing there because i when God i got there, i
1: got a royalty each time oh yeah every <laughs> brick is on tv that's my
0: thing <laughs> No, I I got to New York in '89, and Silver it still had the place, and yeah. Yeah, I it was, you know, by that time there was a letter missing, I think, and one of them was falling
1: off. Oh, well, there are always letters <laughs> missing. Well, did you you seen that famous picture of of John? Oh London yeah yeah, yeah The Emperor. Yeah. Well, it says uh, half of the M, an emperor. It's a vertical sound. Half of the M is missing, and there's no N on the bottom. <laughs> I think it was great. <laughs> no, no one fixed you know. it. How come no All one right. fixed it? You didn't huh? want to fix it? I never, had the money. <laughs> I never had the money. You know, for 10 years, I didn't make a penny. But
0: who was coming around like right away?
1: Because, I mean, oh. Silver
0: Silver did a few shows, right? She was a, a, oh, a dancer. Oh, then she was
1: in, by the time we opened, we we're uh, she was in How to Succeed in Business. And uh, the kids came in, and Bobby Moss came in, Rudy Valley even came in. Isn't amazing Bobby Mars on Mad Men now, yeah, right? And he's playing the same role. Yeah. Chairman of the board, which is yeah. the last job he had. In, it's he, he's great. Seat. He's great. He is. Who else was coming in? Uh, well, Charles Nelson Riley, who Right. Was, who was just fantastic. And all the kids in the show. This is 63, shows. 62. 63. Who was the open? first comic to come around? Ah, the first comic um, was Dave Astor. Yeah. And Dave Astor was the comic's comic. He was playing the Blue Angels. You certainly heard of that. And... Um, he wanted in one night, and he got up and performed. I didn't know who he was, and he was brilliant. He was really. And you had regular crowds.
0: People would start to come in. It was all show people. What was it?
1: In the beginning, it was mostly just show kids coming yeah. in, and then, you know, word yeah. got out very quickly, but uh, I'll get to that yeah. in a minute, but Dave asked to, you know, so he's playing the Blue Angel, and the comics would come to see him. He would bring them over. Right. So he and became sort I of became a regular comedic genius. <laughs> yes, that's
0: it. Dave Astor showed up one night and you're exactly. like, I got it. Exactly. Were you a fan of comedy?
1: Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I found that I'd prefer to hear the same joke over again <laughs> than a song over and over and over again. Is that true? These, yeah, these kids. Would sing the same fucking songs all the time, <laughs> but, all the time. And who were those?
0: Like, who were those kids singing? Do we know these people? I mean, I know that some of the well, people we well, know as comics were singers originally. Some of the women. Oh
1: well, no, we had Liza Minnelli. She would come by regularly. Absolutely. When she was sixteen. Wow. Um, Judy Garland ever come? Yes. We we're talking about the kids first, right? Um, and uh, Bette Midler, of course. When uh, as nineteen sixty nine, Bette showed up. Um, trying to think of other things. Well, we had everybody. You know, didn't was,
0: Elaine Boozler sing initially? Or
1: Elaine Boozler was a singing waitress.
0: Was that something you initiated? That did did everyone have to perform? Oh or? yeah,
1: well, it was as many as we could. Yeah. So in case somebody didn't show up, hey, go on up. That was it. Was it? It was, a, a, it was a ter- not a hook or anything. Yeah. It was
0: just a backup point.
1: Exactly. And she was a terrible waitress, <laughs> so she became a singing hostess. Yeah. And then she met Andy Kaufman and became, decided to become a comedian. Later, and that was, what, 1971? Yeah. Yes. So yeah. in the
0: early 60s, like, did, yeah, did, did Woody 70.
1: Allen come by? Woody was there once or twice. Dick Cavett yeah. came in for the second time he performed stand-up, and, and I think you'll like the story. He says, uh, does this joke. It's a classic joke. He says, my friend from Yale was so rich that when he got married, instead of throwing rice, they threw Uncle Ben. I mean, I the next joke was he was so rich that they had the caviar flown in from Beluga. Well, what did this Jew boy from the Bronx or Connecticut know about right. caviar? Yeah. And I said, where's <laughs> Beluga? I looked it up the next day and yeah. found out that Beluga was the whale, yeah. not him. So you learned he something. He came back a week later, yeah. and he does his set, but he doesn't do the Beluga joke. I said, Dick, why don't you do that Beluga joke? He said... People just didn't get it. I said I thought it was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> you know, pretentious. I don't tell you how pretentious you, I can be, right? But you learned. I learned. I learned. Um,
0: so when you when you started this, I mean, was it? Uh, did you see it as a money making venture? I mean,
1: no, no, and it wasn't for some years. But I saw it as a as a you know part time temporary venture.
0: And and when when did it like when did you start to did Lenny Bruce ever come in?
1: Lenny came in once. To work or to no, hang out? No, just came, hung out. And he, um, we had all the reviews of the Broadway shows stapled to a wall, a petition when you came in. And there were like six newspapers, you know. Yeah. You know. And uh, one of the shows that opened was uh, The Sign in Sidney Brewstein's Window by Lorraine Hansberry, and it starred Gabe Dell. You know, Gabe Uh -uh. was. Gabe was the original Dead End Kid. Uh And he became a very successful actor. And he was starring the show on Broadway. And as Lenny was leaving, we had China, and he looks at the picture of Gabe. And he says, What's this old opium eater doing? Which I don't (laughs) doubt that he was. And I said, Lenny, he's the star of a hit Broadway show. Didn't you read the reviews? Uh And he says, but they don't have Broadway reviews in the Law Journal. That's all he was reading. <laughs> oh, was, and so he know. was at the end of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was he? Was he a mess when he came in? No, no? no, it didn't seem
0: to me. And like, and, and uh, so when was the shift? When did you start to realize that comedy was what was bringing people in? How did that t- shift around? Well, when did, when did Carlin come in? When did Pryor come in? When did?
1: Well, Richard, uh, let's go back to Judy Gollum for yeah. a minute. Um, Liza one day comes to me and I I picture this I never forgot it. remember how the old coffee urns in the restaurant you pour the water and then pour it over on the top and yeah. I'm just, just circulating for those people yeah, yeah 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 they still so have those making coffee and Liza comes out to me she's 16 she says but but can I sing tonight my father's here and he's never heard me sing and I'm saying to myself Holy cow! Vincent Minnelli's in my shit house. Yeah, yeah. I can't believe it. I got. I said no. I'm sorry. We're all booked yeah. up. She's just oh, Please. I said, oh, okay for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And and then she and then oh, then what happened? No, she didn't bring uh, Judy in. One of my ex piano players was dating her mm-hmm. and playing for her, making arrangements for her, and he brought her in. And then so we had nights where Liza sang with Judy doing duets with Peter Allen playing the piano. Oh Liza's my god! Boyfriend, husband. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh, and then when John brought her in, John Meyer, the piano player, I sang duets with her.
0: With Liza Minnelli?
1: With, no. With Judy. With Judy. Judy with Judy. And how, how? And how was the?
0: Uh, how was your voice?
1: My voice was pretty good. Yeah. Anyway, she's. We're singing, and my friend Jack Knight. Do you know ever meet Jack? Uh huh. Jack is six one stock and actor. Yeah. And good voice. Yeah. And we're doing. And the, remember the Tarazzo floor. Yeah, we had there yeah. and it was very smooth right in front of this little stage, and I'm sitting in a chair, and Jack is pushing the chair, and Judy and I are singing on the boardwalk in Atlantic City. Ah, it was brilliant. I mean, unbelievable. And then these two couples are sitting there. Yeah, gypsies. Yeah, not Broadway gypsies. Real gypsies, gypsies. gypsies fortune yeah. tellers. Yeah, and a woman says, "I want to sing next." I said, "I'm sorry, but Miss Garland is singing." I don't care who I want to sing. I said, get out! <laughs> I threw them out out there.
0: She I, I know I she Judy Garland. I don't think she did. Would. I know. Were you thinking that maybe you were going, you were going to actually get into show business? I mean, in terms of singing, and I mean, did you? Oh, start?
1: I, I, you know, I thought about it, but it's always in the back of my at, at head. Time. I've, I've done a few movies, but of course, yeah. I'm always playing myself. Yeah. Uh, right, yeah. <laughs> which is a stretch, sure. Uh, but at the beginning, was that one of your angles? No, when opening cl- the club. No, no. no. but was then just to I, be part. I want to be a producer, and I was you know, going to do that. And, and I did produce a show, you know, finally.
0: And and how? Who? How did you decide who went on and what? What happened with uh, Silver? Part of that?
1: Um, well, she was the she was my conscience, I guess, sometimes. Yeah. But for the most part, I was I was once referred to as benign dictator. And you would come in and say, "Hey, Bud, can I go?" Sure, Mark. You'll be on next. Oh, I'm sorry, Rodney just came yeah. in. You're on after Rodney. Yeah. And while Rodney's on, Robert Klein would come. You'll be after Robert. Yeah. And then you'd, and went, you'd be on at four in the morning, finally, sure. because you know Richard yeah. Pryor would come in the whole thing. You had some so. young, unknown neurotic Jew hating you by well, the end that's of the a, night. Yo, a lot of young neurotic Jews <laughs> and Gentiles hated me.
0: <laughs> well, you had that reputation. You ran sort of a tight ship.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, I ran it. I wasn't making a. A a fortune. I was barely getting by, and I said, you know, at least I'm going to enjoy it. I didn't know. You know, I had no, I know, know, no, no, the only experience I had in food was working as a waiter. So I had no idea of what food costs and drink costs and all of that. You didn't think to hire somebody that might understand that stuff? I I didn't have the money, you know, and I was always, you know, Alex says, uh, oh, cut that crap. You know, I say, you know, how poor I was and how it still to this day, you know, colors the way I think about things. When did it become a comedy club? When did you realize that this was the racket? Um, I would say that
0: uh, after I came out here. Oh, really? But no, but, uh, but there were all those guys at the improv. Well, yeah. Doing...
1: Well, it was singer, comic, singer, comic. So it was, a, it was a variety show. Singer, comic, comic, singer, and then singer, comic, 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 singer. And I could walk into the bar and tell whether a singer or comic was on, because if a comic was on, all the singers would be, Watching in just the sitting, bar, just sitting, you know, don't uh, want to have nothing to do with it. They hated each other. And, they did. Oh yeah, singers hated comic comics. comics hated, in this particular case, because they vied for yeah, the yeah. stage time?
0: But who were the guys that you like? You know, because I know you know the the
1: story about Jay Leno. Uh, used well, to, going back, the first comic, yeah, um, Dave Astor. Yeah, after Dave, yeah. I mean, the first comic to make it out of the Improv was Robert Klein, and Robert was in a show called App apple tree and he brought in and everyone can i curse on this sure or, of course and everyone knows i'm a stage uh, a stage a star fucker yeah and he came in with alan alder uh somebody larry blyden and barbara harris the three stars of apple tree he was in the chorus yeah to watch him yeah i'm impressed you yeah know? <laughs> but he was great you know yeah. and he just what year was that that would be uh 66, uh-huh. about, like, okay, 65, maybe. Yeah. And,
0: uh, and he was just coming into his voice. He was
1: the To young. break out, to yeah. break in material. And then he started to come in almost every night uh, with his Wollingick tape recorder, which was this big, like 30 inches wide. Whole table. And he'd stick it up in the back, <laughs> yeah. stick it up on the shelf, and record the show. And go home and listen to it, which is the important thing. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Robert was, you know, the cream of the crop for me. And then Rodney came in, Dangerfield that is, Yeah. and fell in love with Robert and became his mentor. And uh, then they just started sprouting out. And prior, uh, I forgot how, the first time he came in, but- But it was pre- you know, the shift in prior, right? It was it the late 60s prior. He was He was still doing Bill Cosby. Right. But I didn't know because I never got outside to right. see anyone like Bill Cosby. Was he Cosby. funny then, though? Oh, he was very funny. And he was playing the living room, and we went to see him. That's a nightclub. Yeah. It was a nightclub on the east side. And uh, he's performing, and it was very crowded, at the little place. So they sat Nipsey Russell at my table, which is fine. Yeah. See and all during the show, Nipsey's going. Rrr, rrr, rrr. Yeah. the end, she's like, "What the fuck's wrong with you, yeah. Nipsey?" He says, "He's doing Bill Cosby." I said, "What?" Yeah. He's doing Bill Cosby, and he went over and he blasted Richard. Oh, really? And Richard never did it again. That was it. Yeah. The end and of the Cosby stick. It. Yeah.
0: When did that generation like? Who Who would you say were the guys that, you know, the like? If you were going to name five or ten comics that came out of that late '60s that you you, you think were improv comics?
1: Who were they? Well, it would be Robert Klein, Richard, Rodney, Lily Tomlin. Lily came in. My piano player was Louis St. Louis, and he was from Detroit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Louis, Louis says, I got a friend of mine from Detroit who just came in. she yeah. liked like to audition. I said, I tell her to come in Thursday night at 11. Yeah. And we didn't get started until 11.30, you know, after the shows had uh, broken and the people came in. So uh, I happened to be standing out in front And his limo pulls up. And in those days, it meant something. Yeah. And this young lady gets out putting on white gloves, fitting them on. Mr. Friedman, I said, I'm Lily Tomlin. I said, oh, come right now, I'm very impressed. She went on, blew me away. So she was already somebody. No, completely unknown. Why was she in a limo? I'll tell you. So three weeks later, after she's a regular at the club, she tells me the story that a block east of the improv was the St. James Theater, big Broadway musical house. And the, as I say, the theater didn't break till 11.30, so she went down there, gave the guy limo five, driver $5 to drive her around the block <laughs> to your so club. she can make an entrance. <laughs> uh, anyway, and, and uh, well, there are a lot of guys like uh, Elaine, Ed, Boosler, Ed, Boosler, uh, Ed Bluestone, who was also Elaine's boyfriend, um, and Andy Kaufman came along a little bit later. Lewis? Richard? Oh, of course, Richard Lewis. Yes, thank you. But uh, Richard, you know, funny story, didn't audition, killed. Yeah. And I said, stick around for the second show, kid. He yeah. said, oh, thanks a lot. Yeah. And he didn't do as well. Yeah. And he told me later, again, three weeks later, after he became well, I had 30 friends at my audition <laughs> and they left. They didn't stick around <laughs> for the second show. <laughs> I said, oh, okay. And what about Jimmy Walker? Oh, Jimmy oh. Walker. I'm sorry. Thank you. Yeah. Jimmy Walker, Freddie Prince. Right. All started with you. Uh, yeah. Freddie was fifteen and a half. And this was like the late sixties? Yeah. And what was the culture like? I
0: mean, you know, obviously you you were open when J F K got killed.
1: Oh, that was yeah. that was the first time we closed. Yeah. <laughs> and we open we I mean, we were there, we all our regulars came in, we sat around drinking wine and commiserating. Uh and that and the blackout. Uh and I forgot what year the blackout was, but I was uh Living a block west of the club, and uh, you know, lights went off, which wasn't unusual for my apartment. I figured we couldn't pay the bill, you know. And I walked down the street. You know, it's all dark, and I get to the club, and I'm sitting around doing nothing. I said, "Light some candles, and open the wine." <laughs> <laughs> did, did you have a show? Uh, we had people Something. getting up and talking, yeah. you know. Well, we didn't have a microphone in the beginning. You didn't have any? No, we got one. Maybe six, eight months into it. Yeah, and we did. Story theater long before Second City did story theater, and we had Dave Asher sitting at a, on a chair on the stage with a microphone, and Richard Pryor, and I left out the most important guy Ron Carey. Yeah, who was the funniest man in the world. Yeah, you know Ron? I don't. Why? Well, I mean, I've heard the name, but I've never seen. Okay, so him. he was the short. Cop yeah, I remember on seeing Miller. him. Yeah, he yeah. was in. Um, he had the twitch. High, he was kind of twitchy, right? He was very nervous, yeah. high anxiety, yeah. and and he was a chauvinist. He was just, when he's getting the bags, for all of them, he goes, I got him, I got, he, him, he I got him, I, I don't got I ain't got him. him. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, 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 funny guy. <laughs> and he was hilarious, and he and Richard Pryor would act out the story that they, that David would be telling. Oh, wow. It was brilliant. And then Ron would go on every Friday and Sunday night doing two shows a night, packed, Yeah, doing all this Catholic material in, in the late 60s, very avant-garde. Is that when it all started to sort of break
0: out? Like, in the know, late 60s, yeah. Yeah, and you could see people changing, like Carlin, did Carlin come in? Uh, a couple of times. When did, when did Calvin come in? What was that like? Was that the most amazing thing you ever? What was that? Let's, let's start.
1: Oh, I, I, Andy Calvin came to me through um, a guy named uh, Epi, Epstein who owned a, play, a a rock place, a cor- yeah. rock coffee house thing it was, in Gra- Great Neck, where yeah. Andy was from. And he calls me up. I knew him slightly. He said, listen, I've got this guy. Uh, used to take a look at him. A very funny guy. And I didn't ask. I never asked questions. I yeah. said, fine. Okay. Send him down, he comes in, yeah, Mr. Friedman? Yeah. I said, yes, he says, I am Andy Kaufman. Yeah. I look at him, I said, where are you from, kid? Yeah, I am from an island in the Caspian Sea. And he's doing the foreign man, yeah. and I'm biting. I'm yeah. hook, line, and singer, <laughs> he's got me. So I said, okay, if he says you're funny, go on, we'll put you on. So he goes on, he's doing the uh, the foreign man, everyone's looking at him, they don't know what to do, the nervous, li- Twitter, the whole yeah. thing. And then he does Elvis. Now, yeah. singing Elvis was no big deal for me because when I was in the army in Japan, the Japanese women could sing the American songs perfectly. Hmm. Couldn't speak a word of English. Right. So I figured this is the same thing. And then he finished the song and he goes, well, thank you very much. And I go, I fell off the chair. Right. I knew I had been had. Yeah. And I loved it. And I, you know, we had adopted Andy. And uh, I used to stand in the back of the room particularly out then I brought him out here for a month when I opened the club because uh, all my guys had already moved out here and they're playing the in uh, store yeah and it was Jay Leno and Freddie Prince and uh, Jimmy Walker well Jimmy never came back there Ungrateful fuck but anyway so uh, Mitzi says uh, to Jay you can't play both clubs. And he says, well, if that's the case, since Bud used to manage me, I'll go to the improv. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, you can play both clubs. And of course, Freddie Prinze, he wouldn't dare say anything to um, But... Um, Andy came out. Andy comes out, and he's wrestling w- women and the whole thing, and... I have to watch. I became an expert on body language from behind because I'm watching the guys' shoulders because they want to go up and beat the shit out of Andy on the stage because he's notorious for this. Yeah, with the women and all, and of course they were all. It was all set up.
0: But when you were when you were looking at people, like I I imagine the reason you put people on was because they did well with the crowd, right? I mean, even at the original club,
1: went over with the crowd. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely, Mark. It was, you know, is my taste. And the crowd's taste. Right. But, um, I mean, Andy sometimes would push the limit. Oh, yeah. and but, you... <laughs> but I knew Andy, and I didn't give a shit. You know, <laughs> I, you know, sometimes, you know, doing Gatsby got a little tiring, you know, about <laughs> that, Reading right?
0: great Gatsby. And, yeah. and
1: now it's a hit Broadway, off-Broadway show. Do you know that? No, I didn't know that. There's a company called the Something Elevator Company, uh-huh. and they do it. And the guy reads the book, the whole book. Yeah. And but they have people acting out the parts right. too. Right. But it's hilarious. I think of Andy and it just. Yeah, he has his oh, so how I met Zamuda was. Uh, he was part of a comedy team, mm-hmm. and uh, they were terrible. And they, they I and to this day, I can tell them they used to use fake blood. They <laughs> fake a fight and fake blood in their mouth. And, yeah. You know. uh, but they also did carpentry work. <laughs> And they were helping me fix up the place. Do you know who Zamuda's partner was? Chris Albrecht, who became president At, of HBO, HBO, right? Isn't
0: it interesting that like, a lot of these guys, even the
1: door guys went on? And oh. Howard Klein, too, right? Howard Klein, Jimmy Miller, who handles Jim Carrey, and he met um Who's the most successful comedy director now? Uh, the comedy director? Yeah. Adam McKay? No. Judd Apatow? Judd Apatow was a doorman. Out here. That's though. right. Yeah, out here. That's right. Mean. Oh, in New York we had uh Keenan Wayans, uh Joe Piscopo. Uh Danny Dor- Aiello was a bouncer. You know. Piscopo was a doorman? Yeah. Before he was a comic. Oh yeah. Well, when he was a struggling comic. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Well Attell was a doorman later
0: when Silver had it. Oh, was he? Yeah, yeah. and Kevin Brennan was a doorman yeah. when Silver had it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But you came out here when? I, I came out here in uh 1975, or well, late 74, we opened in 75. So you basically, most of your guys left New York. and Yes, took, and, exactly, that's one reason. Well, I wanted to live here f- for other reasons, but yeah. Right,
0: and, and and you sort of followed the business out, so New York kind of dried up a little. And you had it, competitors it in New York. Did no, one...
1: New York was, we were doing great. It was a gold mine. It was doing very, very well. So I moved out here because I wanted to live in Los, Los Angeles that was my uh, pacemaker
0: oh really did <laughs> you need to plug, plug it in or
1: what i'm joking that was the I, I know. oh, oh I'm okay joking well, too. I, <laughs> you know. oh i, I do not know you were a joker because <laughs> you know, i've seen your ass I, I know i have felt that you have felt that way my entire career so
0: so the improv then you know by 1970 was profitable
1: Uh, 1970. Uh, 71. When did it start? No, no. Um, it was, Silver and I went to Europe for the first time. We took a vacation because everyone said, if you leave the club, buddy, it'll fall apart. Yeah. And I hired Chris Albrecht to be the manager. And we were away for three weeks and we came back. Place was still in business. (laughs) And, you know, Chris was younger, is younger than I am and had a great rapport with the Young Comics. And uh, I said, "This is my chance to move to L.A. because I just started to make money." And uh, so, I had come out here. I came out in '74. My friend Jack Knight was on a series, and he was also a carpenter. Yeah, and knew what I was looking for. And he, um, you know, took me around. Yeah, and we went to what is now the Improv. And it was called the Pitcher Players. It was owned by. Uh, Guy named Joe Roth, who went to become a very successful movie producer, still is. And uh, we went in. It was just the great bones, gray bones, but it was nothing. They yeah. out of a bar and no kitchen. Yeah, and uh, but they, you know, wasn't for sale right or anything. So um, when I went back to New, I saw this act there, this duo that used to work for me in New York. They were now out here. Who's that in L.A.? This is the punchline. All line, right, you know. go ahead. And uh, I get a call from one of the guys. Uh, he says, I'm back in New York because I'm a writer on this new show called Saturday Night Live. And uh, you're still interested in a place because the players want to sell. And here's Joe Ross' phone number. And it was Senator Al Franken. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I always do a list of alumni. Yeah. And I've left him off until last week. And I'm watching the convention. I saw him. I said, holy shit. You yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and me, the biggest name dropper in the world. Yeah, and I'm just a huh? senator, right? <laughs> so, um, anyway, so I called up Joe, uh, made a deal on the phone for, for the lease, which is yeah. all he had. But the only problem was it was only a three and a half year lease. And I had to come out and meet the landlord. And, didn't, and finally, we got a 10 year lease.
0: But were you aware of the comedy store?
1: Of course. The Did comedy you... store started. Do you know how it started? Yeah, I do. Yeah, tell of. me.
0: Sammy Shore. Started as sort of a clubhouse for his buddies.
1: Yeah, and who was his partner? I don't know. Uh, Rudy DeLuca. Okay. You know who Rudy is? No. Uh, remember High Anxiety, the killer with the, the, the um, uh, what do they call those things on his teeth? Braces on his teeth? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Rudy. Okay. Okay, Rudy w- writes all the movies with uh, Mel. Yeah. So Rudy was writing for Sammy. Yeah. And he calls me up, Rudy, and he says, listen, bud, this is in, uh, you know, when they opened 72, 73, 72. He says, "I'm thinking of opening a, a club like the Improv in, in in Hollywood. Would you be upset?" I said, "No, I'll never come out there. Go ahead, you know." And of course, two years later, I did. But by then, Rudy was out of it, and Sammy was out of it. Because yeah, he left yeah, her, and she it. accuses me of stealing her idea. Uh, so uh, the tension. Oh well, I have no tension. I just I enjoyed it. Yeah, I enjoyed the you know her her anxieties. <laughs> Her high anxieties, yeah.
0: <laughs> but when you came out, so you got the 10 year lease. Um, I know some things, but you know, your guys from New York were working for her, right? Yeah. And then you set up shop and you're like, I need you. Right. And most of them came over. Yeah, they all came
1: except Jimmy Walker. Right. And you still pissed off at him? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. He uh, knows because him. let me tell you, Mark, of all the people I used to say, I used to think that they all owed their career to me. Right. And I realized finally after, you know, 30 years, it's not that's true. They would have made Jay would have made it anywhere, anytime. Maybe take a little longer, right. but he would have made it. As, so as you've let some of that go. Ex- I let it all go, yeah. except Jimmy Walker. Yeah. He really owes his career to me. Because yeah. if I didn't put him on, and once I saved his life because I was going to beat the shit out of him. Uh, if I didn't, you know, help that, Jimmy, he. Yeah. Is that the only one you got? The only grudge? The only grudge. Really? Really. It's pretty amazing. It is pretty amazing. I think there must be others back there. Maybe <laughs> I blocked them out of my mind, or they're no longer in the business, you know. So when you you and Silver split up when you moved out here? No. We came out here with Zoe and yeah. her sister Beth. Uh, we lived here uh, from 74 to... Who was his... running the New York
0: club? Chris. Oh, he just stayed yeah, we
1: sold him a piece of the club. Oh, okay. And uh, we... Um, we lasted about two, 77, we started. And 78, we were gonna get a divorce and, and uh, I, I agreed to give her the New York Club because I knew she wanted to go back to New York. And I kept this club and the New York Club was really worth about 10 times what this club was at the time. And, and you had no vision of franchising or anything. You no, were just, no, it was just, this was gonna be a nightclub business. Exactly, it was gonna be a, you know, and then, I I got out of the management business. And I, I learned who were, who were you managing? that. Midler yeah. and Jay Leno. Those you know unknowns. That was it. Yeah. Oh, then I then I had Lenny, you know Lenny Schultz. You know John Mendoza. Yeah. So was one night in the bar with with John here, uh, it was four or five years ago, and and we're talking about. Lenny, jay's name i said you know i used to manage him you manage jay leno yeah i said yeah and i also managed batman you manage jay leno and batman he's about to put me up on a pillar and i said and i also managed lenny schultz <laughs> and he almost <laughs> fell on the floor laughing. he said oh god almighty yeah. Yeah. i thought lenny was gonna be the next sid Caesar. Yeah, he was something. I really did.
0: His son was hanging around for a little while. I think his son was doing comedy yeah, a yeah, little bit. Yeah, yeah. I just it's it's weird. That it, like, so you start the improv in, in LA in seventy five, seventy four,
1: seventy four, seventy yeah. five, and then it burned down very quickly. Coincidentally it burned down to, during the comic strike. And it yeah. wasn't the comics who did it. Not What my was it? Comics. Was that seventy six? It uh no, it was uh no, so here's the story. So Silver goes back to New York seventy eight, the divorce is final in seventy nine, and the strike is in seventy nine. That's when the fire came. The strike started at the comedy store because Mitzi wasn't paying anybody right. and, she, and was she was fighting. Making them. A lot of money.
0: Well, she was it was I had no idea until I read that the book yeah. recently just how
1: successful that place was at that time. And she had this big room that was Ciro's. The main room, yeah. And so she put in names, I right. use quotes, and they didn't draw flies. Yeah. Then she put in three of her best unknowns and packed the place. Right. And she's packing it every Friday and Saturday night, she didn't want to give him any money. Right. I mean, she was, And know, Tom Dreesen and- uh, Oh, you know, it was David Letterman, yeah. and uh, probably Jay went on, and, you know, they were good act. But the, the strike they were was like spearheaded by you know the, a group of comics, and Tom Dreesen yeah. led it. Yeah, well, he Tom was the union, yeah, <laughs> union, union. organizer. Yeah. And- um, Uh, they came to me and I said, look, what do you want? I'm I'm in the middle of a fire here. Yeah, but you weren't paying guys either? (laughs) No. At the time? No, no. no. And you know, anyway, so I said, look, come back to me after I open, I'll negotiate in good faith. They said, fine. Believe me, in hindsight, if they had come to me first, I would have thrown them out on their ass. You wouldn't have paid them either. No, because I struggled so long in New York and I remember Jimmy Walker, again, was making in the 60s, he was working as an engineer in a radio station, WMCA, and he remember Alex Bennett. Yeah, of course. He worked for Alex, and you know, he was making two hundred fifty dollars a week. Two hundred fifty—that was a fortune in yeah, those yeah, days. Yeah, yeah. You know, I wasn't making that. Right. I was, you know, really right. pissed. You know, anyway. So, um, so I, you know, I resented it. Yeah. You know, but by the time I got up and running again, I felt a little differently. And you and know, you made an agreement
0: that if you whatever she pays, I'll pay. When no. that, the strike when it when it's sort of finished, I I
1: paid a, uh, yeah, about the
0: same or a little less. A few. Well, why know. why was there an idea that like mm. these guys should should work for nothing?
1: Well, when when I started the club, and since I wasn't making any money, why the fuck should <laughs> they make any money? But it was also when I opened the club, it was the only comedy club in the world. Right, right. So, who knew? You you know, as I say, you want to come in, you go on, and you'll wait so i wasn't hiring anybody it was just who was there
0: right and they needed the stage time exactly
1: and wait so when the club burned down you suspect it might have been arson we suspect that it might have been somebody from sunset boulevard uh a a devotee oh yeah of somebody from sunset boulevard And you you got a name on that yes we do yes he's dead too ollie joe had nothing to do it no is ollie joe dead yeah Oh, I don't know. Who do you think it was? I'm not going to mention any names. It'll get sued for libel. <laughs> okay. Not that this guy had any family. <laughs> but you have a pretty strong sense. It was a comic.
0: Yeah, yeah. Who was caught up in the fervor of that that situation?
1: Yeah. Well, she she was like a mesma mason. Mes, was it Medusa? No, masonic. Mes, yeah, messianic. Messianic. You know, idle, Yeah, you know, these guys, you know, those... That, I, I was a
0: doorman there. I mean, you know... Were you? In 1988. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, for a year. <clears throat> and even then, after, you know, it was over, She still, you know, there still is that thing there where it's sort of like, you know, Mitzi said, you know, and she's ill. She's like, uh, yeah, you know, know. In, in, she's
1: not... Uh, the great story is uh, uh, Alex and I went to The Tonight Show uh, to see Charles Nelson Riley about something. And I had no idea who else was on the show. And we'd go backstage after the show had started. We're walking down the hallway, and there's Mitzi's boyfriend. What's his name? Uh, Which one? A handsome blonde guy. Argus. Argus Hamilton, Hamilton. yeah. Who I had double dated with before I met Alex after I had divorced Silver. And anyway, some guy. I know. He still goes on every night first. Well, I know, yeah. I know, I know. Yeah, so yeah. I go hey, how are you? And we start talking to him and then she sticks her head out over his shoulder. And, she, and so we walk out. We're backstage by the bar and he comes to get a drink. And now we're talking for five minutes yeah. I listen to Alex and all yeah. of that. And Alex and I are just dating. Mm-hmm. Serious, but we're just dating. And um, uh, when he leaves, I said, you know, that's Mitzi's boyfriend. And she says, what? Alex says, you're telling me that a woman who looks like that has a man who looks like that, and I who look the way I look, have you? So <laughs> I, oh, I got to marry this woman. <laughs> did you? Did she ever?
0: Was there ever any sort of men's made between you and Mitzi? No, did no. You?
1: I mean, we used to. When I used to come out here, I, you know, before you, I you came before I opened the club, she was very friendly, and very nice. You know, but yeah, once, once I stole her idea. That was it. That, really? And,
0: and were, did you have the same resentment of her that she no, had of you? No, no, I didn't care. You know, it's. I mean, it's fleas. Yeah. Outside of the initial sort of like you need, you, we got to share talent.
1: You didn't care. Yeah, and that was the other thing. That, that's what I really resented in the sense for the comics because I remember Carol Siskind. Yeah, I remember her um, with the eye. It was working, yeah. you know, with the improv yeah. and she couldn't go to the comedy store. And she went to New York for a week she came, she says, but I did twelve shows in one night. She was beaming, right, right, in New York, running around doing, doing yeah, the strip. I, you know, okay. anyway, that that's the only thing. the comics didn't get a chance to work out as much as they could because how many spots can we give them? Yeah,
0: and she was the one that was creating all the tension. Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, because by the time I got there, you know, it was already it, it was sort of hanging on and dark, and it always had sort of a dark energy. And uh, that was still some sort of weird unspoken rule. And I remember when I got here, I was 20 years old, and we wanted to work at the improv. So me and my friend Jimmy, we actually went over there during the day. No one was in the showroom, and we did a set for each other just to break the
1: <laughs> 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 we got on th- stage. When I was finishing off the club yeah. on Melrose, and we hadn't opened yet, this young couple walks by, and they come in, they're looking around. Is this the same improv in New York? I said, yes, it is. Are you the... I said, yeah, but well, how are you? You know? Uh, and we're chatting, and uh, so who's going to be performing? The same people perform in New York? I said, yeah, more or less. Just Jay Leno. I said, oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Freddie Pence? I said, oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, Steve Lannisburg? I said, no, no, Steve won't be performing here. Oh, why is that? Well, because he's living with the owner of the comedy store. And the woman says, Oh, no, not Steve. Like, he's gay. Right. (laughs) I said, Are you a chauvinist lady? Couldn't the owner of the comedy store be a woman, which it is? Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. Oh, thank goodness, she said.
0: Did you, now, Steve, was he like,
1: I I don't know him as a comic, but he was great, right? Oh, he was brilliant. Brilliant. Did you remain friends with him? Yes, yes, yeah. And Alex met him later on and, you know, just fell in love with him. So most
0: of that stuff is faded, you know, like, you're friendly with comics in general? Who, me? Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And did you do And there may be guys out there. I'm sure there are guys out there that are nice to me. Yeah. But they hate me, you know. But. Why do you think they hate you? Cuz because, you know, um I wasn't the most diplomatic person in the world. Yeah. I admit that, you know, and I was also very nervous, very uptight when I met Alex, you know, 32 years ago. You know, she come into the club with me, and I look in the dining room, and I go slam the chairs around, moving them into place. Yeah, just out of yeah, yeah looking for attention, and and also, you know, this is my baby. Can't, yeah, and your personality uh, drove the place. Yeah, but now my personality's changed. Thanks <laughs> to st- you know all the comics because Alex's ass, because she made me a nice guy. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Well, people were afraid of you. Yes, they were. Yes, yeah. they were. Yeah. And now,
0: in terms of like. Okay, let's get to this franchise into the like, because it was clear that now we're talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, the, you know, the comedy store was its own thing, but you don't acknowledge that as a comedy club. Like, you acknowledge the improv as the first comedy club, really. Yeah. The comedy store was some weird experiment. No, that was a comedy club. Okay. It was a comedy club. No, 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 no. But the, now, you didn't set out to franchise. What, no. Now, what, but what was the idea? When did you
1: realize, like, I've got enough comics to do this? It wasn't, the, it wasn't enough comics. There was always enough comics. Because, you know, Missy had the Dunes Hotel. Do you know that? Yeah, she had the I main did. room. No, I did, yeah. She still had it by the time I got yeah. there. Yeah, so I had a comic who worked at uh, the club who just passed away by the name of Mark Anderson, and yeah, Mark came. But from a, He
0: owned the the part of the the Arizona one. That was exactly that was a horrible he story. Was, he was the only. Did he have? Did he? Did you? Did he have the San Francisco one too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that guy.
1: Yeah. yeah, he was a very sweet guy, and uh, my friend Bud Robinson was managing him, and Mark was a, psychi- a psychologist, PhD from Princeton, mm-hmm. but he was crazy, <laughs> he was yeah, a but a sweet guy, and he had an interesting, different act, you know. And he said, well, you know, so I'm sorry. So in night, the the big turning point for the improv was Evening at the Improv, a television show. I did in, that twice. Yeah, 1980. That's when it started? Yeah, so we did 14 years of that. Right. So that became, that's what made us. And that's when you knew you could branch out because the brand had become so exactly. established. and Mark Anderson came to me and says, I'd like to open an improv in San Diego or in Pacific Beach. I'm from uh, somewhere down there. yeah. And uh, I said okay, and so we went over, looked for sites, yeah. and found a place, built a club, and we had the, f- the most fantastic opening. Yeah, we um, we rented a car on the train, and uh, uh, but before we went down, I did something I've never done before. Never really talked about this on the air before. Haven't done since. Um, I went to Robin. Williams and I said, Jonathan Winters is coming to the opening and he'd love to see you there. And Mark Anderson knew Jonathan to his family and went to Jonathan and said, "Uh, Robin Williams is coming and he'd love to see you there. And we got them on the stage for the first time ever, ever. Oh my god! And that was Robin's Robin's hero. That was, was, yeah, that was part of the. Then we had, um, so on the train, we had uh, an unknown Bill Maher. Who, as the train pulled out of the station, went into the men's room and came out wearing a smoking jacket, which he proceeded (laughs) to wear. And we put everybody up in the night. We had Bea Arthur, who's the hottest one on television, and Ruth Buzzy from uh, Laughing. Yeah, Um, yeah, and it was just great caravan of comics. Yeah, it was just wonderful, and uh, the show was terrific. Obviously, with Robin and uh, and Jonathan closing it, and. it, it ran for a number of years. I never, to this day, figured out why it closed. What, the San Diego one? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I well, it was just... Like, I remember the evening of the improv, and then, you know, I did that in 89, and 91. I did the shows, and mm-hmm. you were there. and uh, But, like, Robin's a, yeah, another one. Like, I, I don't think anyone anticipated. Did you anticipate when you yes. opened
1: that... What? That Robin would become well, a superstar? Well, yeah, st- you,
0: you knew that. But that comedy would get so fucking hot.
1: Oh, I never... That's a good, yeah, that's a good point. Because I never thought that comedians would become like superstars. Rock stars, and that's what the early exactly. 70s stars, was like, yeah. or the mid-70s. Yeah, late it mates, was cra- what It was what, what do you think that was? More the 80s. Well, why, why'd that happen? It, it's cable, you know, um, when when the, remember the Hot Channel? Yeah. Right? And uh, what was it, Chris's boss was, uh, anyway, the president had a uh Michael cham- Fuchs. Cham- yeah, yeah, Michael at HBO, Hughes, at HBO. HBO had a champagne breakfast. Yeah. at the Four Seasons Hotel, yeah. and there were about four hundred people in the room. And he said, "You know, thanks to HBO, there are now over three hundred comedy clubs in America." I yelled out, "Thanks a lot, Michael!" the room broke up. But it was cable. Yeah, it was a success of the improv
0: but do you think like because a lot of people like uh, my generation and 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 certainly when the the collapse of the boom happened and clubs started hurting mm-hmm. You yeah. remember that, oh, yeah. but they blamed overexposure, and they blamed that you know there was a, a watering down that there were comics that maybe not, we're not that great or we're too mediocre. Like it used to drive me nuts. I go into the improv, and you had that fucking sign on the wall: "Over a million jokes told." And yeah. I'm like, "He knows who he's comparing it to. It's
1: fucking McDonald's. Yeah, I know, I know. Well, and I, I got the joke, but do you think on some level? Oh there were... no, I didn't ever. I, I, here's my theory on that. You know, guys. Would look at my success and see the show, and they say, Ah, if Bud Freeman can do that, I can do it. And I'm going to cover all my bowling alley and make it a comedy club. Right. And they did. And who am I going to get to perform? Who, who do I have here in Des Moines? I know, Harry. Harry. Yeah. Harry's a funny guy, the guy at right. the gas station then. And so the people would go in Des Moines to see Harry perform, right. who was not. You know, less yeah. than adequate. And they say, Well, this is what comedy clubs is all about. Why should I go to the improv when I go to LA or to Vegas or something like that? Right. So you think it was, I a, think that yeah, was a part of regional
0: it. comedy scenes that were built yeah. on happy hour performers and aspiring comics.
1: Yeah. Huh. And the recession.
0: Right. Right. But I mean, but did you do you consider like, were you ever intrusive? Like, I know, like, the, you know, Mitzi, you know, was, uh, you know, guiding everybody through their act and telling them <laughs> what to do, but I never got that from you. Were there guys, did you ever step in and creatively coach anybody? I did. They never listened. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness. So, even at the beginning, because I remember Silver was always very, you know, when I, even when I was there and the place was, was sort of dying. You know, in the late '80s, yeah. You know, she was always very proactive and very sort of like you know coddling and oh, you know, I yeah. was
1: always we were always encouraging. Yes, yeah. I was always encouraging, and I I did give notes occasionally. You know, but but it was mostly the encouragement. Yeah, they needed. Do you think and, it's an
0: art form? Yes, definitely. Yeah.
1: And, and I would go. I have a big laugh, as you probably noticed, and I would go to the Tonight Show in New York and the Ed Sullivan Show when all the comic when any of the comics were on, and and well, laugh it up. In them. your life. Who are the guys that, like, you know, you just like
0: outside of Ron Carey, the guys that just, you know, forever well, you have made a mark,
1: like the, the Robert Klein, Richard Pryor, Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Uh, fucking Rodney came in. He worked at the living room, the same place that Richard went to eventually, and I saw the write up. Yeah, I had no idea who. And this he is was. when he
0: just sort of reinvented himself. He just
1: came back as after Rodney. After like twelve years yeah. of, of aluminum siding, and siding and selling right. jokes, and he and I heard Rodney Dangerfield. I'm expecting this Ivy <laughs> Ivy right. leaguer come in, you know, with a little narrow uh, suit uh, lapel suit on, and this guy walks in, a middle aged drunk, and he's drunk, and he goes on stage and he bombed. Yeah. Probably the only time he ever bombed the empire. He came back the next night sober, as if to say, I'll show these young fuckers. Yeah, yeah. And he gets up, wipes out the room. Just brilliant. And he became my unofficial house MC for two years. And when did he open his own club? After two years. Yeah. And he asked me to run it for him. And I said, I can't leave my club. It'll fall apart. Right. A year <laughs> later, I left. And, and the first year Chris was running it, business increased 15%, you know, so. But
0: do you, when you look at the the arc of show business you look at somebody like Robert Klein, who you know some people think you know did not get you know the 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 dues or the respect that was owed him as right. a comic over time yeah,
1: do you believe that? Yes, I do. Why do you think that happened? uh well, there was something about his persona which I did not see, but you know his manager you know said it that uh he uh he was a little arrogant mm-hmm. yeah you know, and I thought he had the right to be yeah <laughs> uh you know he. So he he was
0: he was pompous and he maybe he a screwed little up opportunities for himself. Yeah, Are yeah. there a lot of guys like that because when I was at the improv, by the time I was working at the New York Improv, you know Marty was hanging around, Bob, uh, Bob Shaw was hanging around, Ron Darian was still around, uh, uh, Mike Ivy and Uncle Dirty, Bob Altman yeah. was still around. I mean, all those guys started with you. Do you do you know what what it and and you why know why did they make it? Well, Bob Altman claims he had the biggest selling comedy album in the ever at that time. That's what he used to talk
1: about. Uncle Dirty. He used to say, like, I you know, he had a big myth. Uh, uh, quizzical look on Bud Friedman's face. <laughs> <laughs> but why do you think, uh,
0: you know, do you think there are guys that were great that just didn't make it?
1: Well, I didn't think Uncle Dirty was great. Right. I thought he was a little, um, uh, what's the word, uh, derivative. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, people used to say to me years ago, who hasn't made it that should have made it? Yeah. And the only answer I had at the time was Jay Leno. Yeah. All the time. And yeah. Jay, uh, and, um, but now I feel that anyone who's made it has made it because they deserve to or they're lucky. But I don't think there's anyone that hasn't made it. I can't think of anyone that, you know, I can't understand why they didn't make it. Right. You know? Usually there's a story there. There's a story, you know, they're, you know, just not good enough.
0: But also like their own
1: demons perhaps? That happens occasionally, yeah, sure. But I don't know. I can't think of, you know, I thought of this many times. I can't think of anybody that... Uh, that should have made
0: it, that did. Yeah, right. W- without a, a reasonable explanation. Yeah, yeah. And do you, what do you think of the,
1: the state of comedy now? Well, I think it's very good. You know, it's it's interesting because there are thousands of comics where there used to be hundreds. And, and that's a
0: good thing. Uh,
1: yeah, for me it is. When I started the improv... <laughs> Here's, here's our regulars. I'm just yeah. trying to think of Ron Carey, Stiller and Mirror, Richard Pryor, Robert Klein, Rodney Dangerfield, uh, Lily Tomlin. You would never uh, mistake one voice for the other. Right. You knew the minute you heard these people who they were. They were unique, or they are unique. Well, maybe they were unique. They're not anymore because cable mm-hmm. and. No, they, they were always unique. I mean, they were Yeah, there was but the exposure. Right. Uh, on cable and on television right uh became such a thing that people started to copy and how tough is it you know you're a comic to yeah. come up with original material it's hard. that nobody else has touched right uh so but i i say that although there are thousands of comics there are still the people who like cream will rise to the top with unique voices you with know, the unique voices who uh you know uh still the same number yeah. of of breakout right, people right they're just more uh chafe wheat from the chafe yeah. whatever you know but
0: you need those guys too right i mean especially yeah. when you're running a franchise business you got to have the you know. well we hope we only take the top people for our clubs yeah uh, but i mean you got to have openers and middles and you yes, got you, right? you well, got a yeah. farm system of some yeah kind. and
1: and and it works out and you, you see people developing and uh yeah it's very gratifying
0: and do you like where do you stand on like you you know the people that are derivative? I mean, when you see people that are obviously stealing people's work and that kind of stuff.
1: Well, we we've called out a few people on that. Yeah, but, uh, you know, uh, they don't rate rate too highly. You right. Know, you know, right. and, with it, me. and they and, won't work for me. Yeah. For the most part. So,
0: where, where, what's the status of the situation now? I, like, I see you over there. I don't know what's your involvement in the club now.
1: Oh. Well, my partner, Mark Lano, and I have, uh, in 19, uh, 1999, I can't remember, boy, the decades are flying by, 1999, we franchised or licensed all the clubs, including Melrose, to a guy named Al Copeland. Uh, and he had great plans, great ideas, and he was the guy who created Popeyes. Mm-hmm. Chicken. Yeah. Yeah. And But they had no anti-homosexual policies. Yeah, uh, sure, they were okay. policies On the no level. Yeah. Uh, so, um, you know, and they had a great plan and, and uh, you know, we discussed it and they, uh, they were working with Robert Hartman who had worked for us for many years. So I thought it was in safe hands and it is. I mean, they, you know, but then Al died and, uh, but before he died we had to sue him because it wasn't opening the number of clubs he was supposed to, so, yeah, Yeah. But, uh, so my involvement is we own the name, we get a piece of the action well, we don't have the day-to-day aggravation, which is why I can sit here and smile and you know go crazy driving out here, yeah. wherever we are. It's not that we're right by Pasadena. Nothing. Uh, yeah, no? I, I don't want to get into that. I right. you, know, you know, the two Jews mean. What do you spend the first two hours talking about? How I got here. I. I that's one thing I decided after I was out in California a few years. I'm. Not, I was going to talking about how I got someplace. Because
0: you know? <laughs> I could go on forever.
1: Oh God.
0: So you're doing all right, and you and Juan are, are friends.
1: Hmm. Yes, yeah, matter of fact, uh, we're going uh, next week, uh, the twentieth um alex and i and mark and joanna are going up to uh boston for the comedy festival and mark and i are going to be judges oh and yeah we just you yeah, know to go up there yeah, yeah it's nice up there yeah. he, he
0: was very funny like years ago when i was a lot more angry and you know, i did some <laughs> set at your club and you know i was uh you know up there storming around and it was clearly not a great set And I got off and Lonel said, it's
1: very uplifting. (laughs) (laughs) You can be a little sarcastic, yes.
0: But the weird thing is, is I read the book, you know, I read both uh, Zoglin's book and I read the I'm Dying Up Here. And I tell you, I, I just had no... Because I'm I'm only I'm 49, so I don't have any context of what you guys were like when you were young, and you know, and and just uh, you, it's hard for me to ever imagine you guys as young men, and, and, and <laughs> not in a bad way, yeah. but I mean like you know when things when when well, you were was at the, never
1: young huh? when you
0: were at the beginning of something, yeah, right, yeah, and you know, and his like you know like he, what he comes from, you know, in, in his place, like he was sort of on the periphery of the strike, and and his wife, oh, he was, was very,
1: he and his wife were very involved, in the yeah, yeah, and like
0: you know, and he said something about you know Mitzi at the end that book that was taken from testimony it was so genius and it's just so amazing to me that like you know Jay Leno and Dave Letterman all these guys were 22 23 year old guys I know that's amazing uh, who were insecure and and, but it was like the beginning of rock and roll here I mean you were the you were the source of it yeah and there was that changeover from the old guard I mean you know what you know what's your relationship with them I see pictures of the improv you know Shecky Green Buddy Hackett and those guys but they were done right I mean, by, the, well,
1: by yeah. the time you started, oh yeah, they were well, very well established. They were, reti- you know, semi-retired or mostly retired. But uh, I was a member of the Friars. and I <clears throat> met all these guys, these legends. Yeah, Milton Berle and Jan and yeah. Shecky, and Buddy Hackett. And
0: did you it, did you see them when you were younger at all? Did you ever do oh, the, sure. the hills and go? Well, to I worked the Catskill.
1: at Catskills for years. You yeah. Know? Yeah, Doing what? summers. I, I did everything, lifeguard, boat boy, waiter, bus boy, stagehand. So you saw all those comics? Yeah. And Joey Bishop tipped me a dollar once, you know. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have
0: those memories.
1: Yeah. Oh, but yeah. isn't it interesting how,
0: like, how th- there's such a shift in the style of comedy and when stand-up became its own thing as opposed to just those guys? Yeah, going.
1: those are the guys who, you know, a handful of guys who were names mm-hmm. who could headline, mm-hmm. but for the most part, there are two aspects I feel that I've changed in the, in the world, and yeah. that is comics were no longer opening acts. Right? The, you know, yeah, those yes. be, be, besides those guys, they became comedy stars, and and two, uh, because of me, comics started to get laid. <laughs> Talking about <laughs> rock and rollers, you know, they never got laid before that.
0: That's right, and that was a big driving force.
1: And the improv was like, a, a, and that was the other. I'm sorry, but that was the other thing I could measure, a comics. Potential uh-huh. by how successful he was with the women. Yeah, who were who were some? Well, of the... Richard Lewis, Robin Williams. That before you know, when yeah. he's completely unknown, and Jay Leno. Oh yeah, yeah. They were yeah. cocksmen. Oh yeah. yeah. I just I and you were like those are the guys. I said this guy's going to be great. <laughs> well, thanks for making the sweat, bud. All right, good talk. I hope to I, you. I get home. <laughs> yeah, we'll figure it out. Well, I saw a little hotel down the street. Yeah, yeah. I'll wait till daylight. Let's we'll, we'll set you up in Pasadena. <laughs> Okay, that's it.
0: I hope uh, I hope you got uh, you got, had your notebooks out and you're connecting some dots there. Don't be afraid to Google anybody that was mentioned that you may not know. I can't do all your homework for you. Uh, it was a pleasure talking to Bud, and I hope you uh, I hope you engaged and enjoyed that. Um, go to wtfpod.com. Boomer lives shirts are going fast. I'm going to make more for your Christmas gifts. I guess one of my coop shirts. Uh, was uh, a Christmas gift pick on Huffington Post, so they're around. We got the tote bags. We got all kinds of presents. If you're a WTF-er or you love a WTF-er, go pick some shit up at WTFpod.com under the merch. Uh, you can always uh, you know kick in a few shekels. You can do whatever you want. You can check the episode guide. You can leave a comment. Uh, you can get the app. and get the premium app. You can get the first 100 DVD. It's a fun place to go. Just copy Co op, you can do that. Ah, I miss my cat. It's, it's difficult sometimes. There's bowls still out there. Alright, I gotta go. I gotta go do a, a thing at a place. Boomer lives!